So as I said, we're in week three of Advent, and we're in week three of our series here at Pittman Park called Welcoming God. And um, by now, surely you have been to a Christmas party, or you've prepared for a Christmas party at your own home, or maybe in your office. Um, and my family around this time of year, from November into December, um, we have these, these I, I don't know, they're like clan gatherings. Do you have these in your family where like the whole clan gets together? Not, not just, you know, mom and dad and grandparents and some aunts and uncles, but like the whole clan, like the whole clan. So you have these gatherings where it's not, you know, 15, maybe 20 people come into a house. It's like 75 people descend upon, you know, a, a two-bedroom, three-bath house, and, and everybody, I don't even know if that's the size house, but, but they all descend on this place, and everybody's pinching. I remember from my childhood, these gatherings, and, and, and old women pinching my cheeks. You, you've had this, right? Old women pinching your cheeks, and people saying, I remember you when you weren't even tall, when you were just, I, mean, I remember when you were, you were just a ball of, of goo and flesh, and here you are, you know, a grown adult now. It's so good to see you. Um, congratulations on being 32. Um, <laughs> uh, but you have these gatherings, right? And one of the things that I love about these gatherings is um, this, this select group, and maybe this is just my family again, this select group of ladies in the family um, who see um, Christmas and Advent and Thanksgiving as sort of like hunting season, I mean, this is the time to hunt bargains and to shop. And so they all gather together, and you can pick them out because they're the ladies uh, that are always wearing, and I'm, I'm sorry if this is you, and it may be you, and I'm sorry, but, but they're wearing, you know, the red, you know, the red sweater with the Santa Claus face on it, but not just any Santa Claus face, the face that has the cotton coming out like the beard. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen this? All right, and these people kind of group together. Um, and, and, it, and it becomes not just ladies, but men as well who are over there because they're wearing the big snowflake sweater. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's a solid color with snowflakes going across. And they're all in the corner, right? And they're talking about all the things. They're telling lies like hunters do um, about all the things they've gotten for Christmas. And you get around these people for a little bit, and all of a sudden you start getting excited about stuff about Christmas and all of the stuff you could buy and all the stuff that you could get at Christmas if you just watched enough QVC or visited enough strange Christmas stores during the course of the season. And I don't mean to pick, but, you know, there's a certain kind of weirdness in that, right? Can we just own that? That's kind of weird. It is kind of, at least I think it's kind of weird. Because all of a sudden, Christmas goes from being, you know, this, this season where we're welcoming God into our world to bring us joy and, and hope and peace, you know, to, to Santa Claus bringing us plastic stuff that we could have bought in front of our TVs if we just pick up the phone and call. You know, we sort of commercialize Christmas. And if you do Christmas with that crowd, if you spend enough time with that crowd during Christmas you begin to realize that Christmas is just an opportunity to, to spend some money, right? It's just another opportunity to get the best deal, to get another 40-inch TV. Maybe you need another 40-inch TV. I don't know. It's interesting. If you hang out with that crowd for long enough, you, it's really, really easy to get caught up in the stuff of Christmas, from the shopping, to the Christmas parties, to the cooking, to the cleaning, to the decorating Christmas. If you hang around those types for long enough, it just gets filled full of activities and stuff that you've got to do. And I wonder sometimes 
if we really love Christmas or we just love all the stuff that comes along with Christmas? Do we really love the fact that Christ is breaking into our world, that God is breaking into our world, or are we just caught up on the fact that Santa Claus is going to be in front of Macy's and we got to get our picture taken? Maybe that's, maybe that's what Christmas is all about. I hope that's not what Christmas is all about. I wonder if we're more consumed with the gifts we're going to get than we are with a true and perfect gift that comes to offer us salvation. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Christmas, and I even love all of that stuff in tacky Christmas sweaters. Uh, if you don't have a tacky Christmas sweater, you're missing out. It can be fun. Trust me. Um, but it can become a preoccupation, and the great threat that this poses to our lives and our souls is that sometimes getting caught up in all of that Christmas stuff and all of that hype and all the parties, it can threaten our joy. It can leave us joyless because we're exhausted. Getting caught up in the Christmas stuff can sometimes leave you and leave me absolutely joyless to the point where we don't want to be around family anymore. and We don't want to sit down with coworkers, and we don't want to be around anyone else. We just want to push everybody out so that we can be alone in our... You ever get that feeling? Like you just want to quit Christmas? You can be honest. By now, we're all looking for joy, right? By the third week of December, the third week of Advent, we're all trying to find a little joy in the midst of the Christmas madness. Because by now... We've all experienced a little bit of tiredness or a little bit of brokenness. So rather than being able to bask in the glory of the coming of our Lord and Savior, we're left holding the pieces of a Christmas that hasn't been yet and may not happen at all. We sort of end up in a spiritual funk, and that spiritual funk becomes an emotional funk, and all of a sudden we find ourselves wounded and broken. Not only does Christmas have the potential to burn us out, but it's amazing to me how Christmas carries with it the potential to reopen wounds and hurt and pain from our past. And it would be easy for me to stand up here this morning in front of all of you and and to tell you that the secret to finding joy in Christmas is just reading another devotional or, or going to another party or having another Christmas dinner. But the truth is, that's not the secret to joy at Christmas at all. It's not that easy. If it were that easy, we'd all be happy all the time. But finding joy in Christmas can be hard. Especially in a world that values all of us putting on plastic, smiley faces all the time instead of owning up to what's really going on in our hearts in our lives the truth is the great hope of Christmas is often overshadowed by the problems and the hardships of our lives the pains of our past and maybe even the hopelessness that we feel in the present in the Bible there's this guy um, John the Baptist that Bill talked to you about last week do you remember John the Baptist John the Baptist, he sort of explodes on the scene in Matthew's gospel. He's preaching down by the River Jordan, and he's calling people to repentance. He's calling them to repent 
for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's interesting because those are Jesus' very words and first words in Mark's gospel. If you go back and read Mark 1, that's what Jesus says, first repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But Matthew has John the Baptist saying these words down by the river, and he's baptizing people, and, and he's becoming a personality. You know how that happens, right? After a while, enough people flock to you, and suddenly you become a personality. And John has become a personality, and he sort of gets built up, and he makes, well, he makes a fatal error. He calls out the king for a relationship that he's having outside of marriage, an incestuous relationship that he's having outside of marriage. And he calls out King Herod, and King Herod throws John into jail. And so John has gone from the highest of highs. He's gone from the mountaintop where he's seeing people's lives changed. He's seeing things happen for the kingdom of God. He knows that Jesus is the one that's coming to set all things right, and he's just waiting because the baptism of fire is coming. You know this John, right? You heard about him last week, who's fired up and ready for the kingdom of God to break in on the scene. But life catches up with John. And he's got some time to sit and think about everything he's witnessed and everything that he's seen, everything he's heard. He's, ha- he's got time in prison to sit and think about who Jesus really is. And as he's sitting there inside of that cell, in spite of seeing all of the miracles, in spite of seeing all the incredible things that Jesus has done, even the heavens bursting open when he baptized Jesus, he starts to become depressed. And he starts to become run down. And he begins to lose his joy. And he gets distraught to the point that when he hears what Christ is doing, that he begins to question him. So if you have your scriptures with you, if you have your, either your Bible or your smartphone with you, or you have your notes in front of you, go ahead and open them up to uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 11. You got those verses? They're going to be up on the screen too. Matthew eleven two 2 to 11. This is from a jail cell, what John's dealing with. It says there that when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to them, Are you the one... Who is to come? Or should we wait for another? Think about that question for just a second in the light of everything that John has seen. Think about it. Just imagine for a second how deep in despair John must have been after growing up with Jesus. I mean, he was a second cousin. How deep in despair he must have been to ask that question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? So here's how I imagine the background to this text. John's cell is dark, and it's dank because prison cells, they usually are. And he's pacing back and forth, and he's, he's chained more by his own thoughts and feelings than he is by the shackles that are around his hands and around his feet. And when he's allowed at last to see one of his followers, he asks a question that he, I'm sure he could just barely utter to get out. Are you the one? Settle my doubts, Jesus, and once and for all, tell me, is it you or am I just sitting in this cell for nothing? Is it you? Because I need hope and I need peace and I need to find some joy. 
in the midst of all of this madness. I mean, to be fair, John's failure of confidence, you know, really shouldn't surprise us all that much. He is, after all, in prison. What he predicted and longed for in Jesus just hasn't arrived because Jesus had this image, or John had this image of Jesus who would come on the scene and make all of these changes, who would change the world in a single moment. John had this vision of Jesus as a Messiah who would carry a sword and bring in a new kingdom by force. And so when that doesn't happen, when his life doesn't change, when the world doesn't change, John loses heart. And he finds himself in a cell by himself, all alone. What John saw in Jesus was the climax of all of God's promises to Israel. And now as he's alone in his cell, he's sitting there waiting for all those promises to be kept. John is at very best concerned, but far more likely John is sitting in his cell, disappointed and hopeless. You know, if we're honest, there are a lot of us who at Christmas, we feel just like John. We feel just like John. We're not trapped in prisons, most of us. At least not the world's prisons. We're trapped in prisons of our own creation, prisons of our own doing. We're locked up by our past. We're locked up by our fears. We're locked up by our hopes, our emptiness, and our wounds. We're bound by our sin, and we're bound by our pain. There are a lot of us in this room who believe the gospel, who believe in God, but because of life and what's happened in our lives, what's happened to us personally, we've ended up feeling just like John, asking the question, Jesus, is it you? Are you for real? Because if you are, do something. You ever feel that way? That you just wish God would come and fix it all now? We hear the angels say, peace on earth, goodwill to all people, and we look around the world and all we see are nations at war and broken relationships and broken families. And we end up feeling like John. God, just do something. Jesus is a you. And so try as we might to deny the darkness of the season by keeping time with candles and by having Christmas parties and by having get-togethers and sending out cards and decorating trees. Try as we might to say that there's no darkness in this season. The truth is the darkness, it creeps in sometimes, doesn't it? And you and I feel it. And when that happens, we begin, we begin to lose our joy. All it takes is the loss of a friend or a job or a loved one to remind us how fragile, how fragile we truly are. And when that happens, we too are at best concerned with what God's doing in this world. But far more often, we, like John, 
are disappointed. But then comes Jesus' response. Then comes Jesus' response. Jesus, you can imagine he hears in the messenger who brings the question to him. He hears in his voice the desperation and the hopelessness of John. You just got to know. Cousins know that about each other. Maybe you have a cousin who knows you better than somebody, than anybody else that you know. Cousins know that, and they, they know when you're down, and John can hear how down and how hopeless and how disappointed John is when he gets the question. So Jesus answered him. This is verse 4 in your text. He says this. He says, go and tell John. Go and tell John what you hear. And go and tell John what you see. The blind... The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Now, I've read this text probably 30 or 40 times uh, over the course of of the past 10 years in ministry. I've probably read it 30 or 40 times, like I said. And I miss the message of the text every time I get to it. And the message is that little clause we just read, blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Because what Jesus is saying is, John, you know who I am. John, you know all of the expectations that you have for me. I know all those expectations, John. But what you've got to understand is that your plan is not my plan. Your plan is not my father's plan. Your your vision of God's future is not God's vision of God's own future. So John, John, take, take no offense, friend. Understand that even though you can't see it right now, even though you might not be able to feel it, even though you feel like you're alone inside of that prison, even though you might truly be alone inside that prison, John, what you've got to understand is that the kingdom of God is breaking into this world and it might not look like what you think it should look like, but it's happening, John. So don't take any offense, John. Because God is going to come on high. But first, he has to come as a child born in a manger, vulnerable and weak. Because the ones he came to seek and to find are the vulnerable and the weak, John. And in this moment, John, as you're sitting in your cell, I know just how vulnerable and how weak you are. And yeah, John, I've come for you too. So this Christmas, maybe instead of being red and green, it's been a lot bluer for you. Maybe instead of being joyous and merry and filled with expectation, it's been filled with disappointment and hurt and pain. Maybe that's what Christmas has been like for you this year. I want to remind you that you might not be able to see it right now, but God has come to be with you in this season and in this life and in this moment.
that God has not forgotten about you inside of your prison, that God has not forgotten about you inside of your hurt and inside of your fear. But God has come to begin making all things new. So Jesus, he turns and very intentionally he looks at the crowd and he asks them, well, what did you expect to see when you went out into the wilderness? What did you expect to see when you went out there? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes, Jesus says, are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see from that man named John? A prophet? Yes. A prophet. I will tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it's written. See, I'm sending a messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus' message to John, his message to the crowd, is for them to keep looking, to keep searching for signs of God's kingdom breaking into their world and even into their lives because it's happening. It's not the kingdom that you might have expected. It's not the resolution or the plan or the process that you might have conceived inside of your head, but it's happening right now. The kingdom of God is breaking into this world And Jesus, our Savior, is redeeming the broken, healing the wounded, comforting the afflicted, and making all things new. Jesus points out to John and to us. And even in the midst of our hopelessness, God is working. God is making all things new. It's not pop psychology, it's not a pet answer. That Jesus gives to John. It's a simple request for him to have faith. And to look for hope. Even when it looks hopeless. To hear the message of the angels. Of peace. On earth and goodwill to all people. To trust. That the one who has come. Truly is Emmanuel. God with us. In our joys. Certainly but more truly and more real in our hurt and in our pain and in our disappointment. So this morning, we're about to sing a song that talks about ruins coming back to life. And the truth is that Jesus Christ, if we will turn our eyes and our hearts toward him, that he can bring the ruins of our life back to being, back to wholeness. He can take our brokenness and make something beautiful of it. If only, if only we'll look for the signs in the world around us. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God, help us. 